Hello, this is the voice of Carlos Lopez Estrada. I directed the movie that you're about to see. It is titled Blind Spotting. It was written and starring David Diggs and Rafael Casal. This is the director's commentary that was originally meant to happen with David and with Rafa, but I happened to have a music video shoot for Jasmine Cephas Jones, who is actually in this movie too, and they scheduled that on the day that we were supposed to do this commentary. So now I'm stuck here by myself, and there is an alternate commentary by David and Rafa that you should probably check before you check mine. But if you get through that and you want to learn a little bit more about the movie, then you should come back to this and listen to this one. And then you'll have everyone's thoughts on everything that you're about to see. These were shot over a period of, I don't know, maybe four days all around Oakland. And as I'm sure you can tell, they're meant to juxtapose many, many of the different characters and colors and backdrops that Oakland has to offer. Homeless encampments on the right, some brand new lofts on the left, a classic corner market next to Whole Foods. That's a camera operator back there doing the selfie. There's a beautiful mural that we wanted to have in the movie. This is really fast. I'm going to try my best to like, keep up to the pace of the movie, but that mural was actually painted by an artist that was killed when he was photographing it. I guess that's probably a grim note to start with, but shows a little bit of the complicated nature of the city of Oakland. These are stock videos that we found from different local music videos. So that's my credit. Different music videos and different films that people from Oakland have shot and we were able to get a hold of. There's a title on the Fox Theater. They were kind enough to put our title in there. And here's David. Now that you have completed your two-month sentence at Alameda County Jail... I feel really strange talking over this. I feel like you should be listening to what's being said because this essentially sets up all the terms of Colin's probation and gives us the parameters of his freedom and what he can and cannot do after he's released out into the world. So that's important. I love David's performance here. He doesn't do much, but it's so beautifully performed and he says one word and yet... There's so much honesty to it. Will result in immediate return to Santa Rita. Mr. Hoskins. Mr. Hoskins. Mr. Hoskins. Give me a verbal confirmation that you've heard and understood these parameters. The word he says is... Yeah. Yeah. We're in a scraper car. There are two lead characters and Dez. Dez is actually inspired in a real person who Davina Rafa know, good friend of theirs, who actually gets to play an extra cameo in the scene that's about to come after this. Quick Way, which is the fast food restaurant that they're eating the burgers from, is a real entity that is no longer functioning, but it used to exist in Oakland. And it did close, and it did reopen. 
As you can tell, many of the incidents in this movie are inspired in real events, real places, and real people, including this right here. Rafa told us this story about driving down the highway in his friend's car and having a moment very similar to this in which he kept finding different guns nestled all over the car in the glove compartment in between the seats so this scene in many ways took shape after this one experience of his the opening scene in the last draft of the script was significantly different but after you told us the story we made sure that he included it into the movie because it was just so telling of sort of like this complicated nature of Oakland. Precious me, the one in my pocket. Very nice. Nigga, why are there six guns in your car, Dad? Oh, Colin, man, I like yours. Right here, Yo, that this is, is not dope. my. Also, he shot this almost at the end of the shoot. Maybe it was the second to last day. And it's my favorite scene, I think. I had a really good time shooting it. Trying to go back to jail. Two hundred dollars. Let me Collins out. Gun. Fucking car. Not Collins' gun. Let the record show. This is not Collins' gun. All right, give me that. Oh shit! Get the fuck out! I just got an Uber pickup. We had a lot of legal conversations about how much we could say and not say about Uber. Had to be very careful about the sounds we could use and the images we can use and whether this car was allowed to be on screen or not. And the legal team approved, so I don't think they can come after us. This scene was also one of my favorites to shoot because essentially every single person you see on this screen right now is either a friend or a family member of both David and Rafa, people they've known for a long, long time. Many of the characters that inspired the characters in our film, and it also features a few cameos. For example, this guy right here, his name is George Watsky. He's a very talented poet, very talented writer, very talented rapper, and he knows all three of us to beat Rafa and myself. I made a few videos for him. And as you'll see, the movie is saturated with these sort of like friend appearances. All of these guys and girls are good friends with David and Rafa and they all came out for the night to hang out with us, which was really special. I'm gonna keep pointing out the cameos because I think there's so many of these in this movie. The women walking behind the guys right here was actually one of our two makeup artists. Her name is Chelsea. I think we had no extras in this scene, so we put her back there. And this is one of the few appearances that the BART train makes in the movie. The BART train is a staple of Oakland, and we try to put it in there as much as possible. Grand opening of the new quick way. Hey. Wish I knew a quicker way. Whips is sweet getting tooth decay, all these candy cars. This was really late at night, and I think we had one go at it. We could rehearse it three times. It's a long one take, so we didn't really have too many times to do it. They did such a good job, and we actually feature another cameo here, Jonathan Groff and Emmy, who was starring in Hamilton at the time in the tour version of Hamilton, which was in San Francisco. They came to visit set, and we asked them if they could just jump in front of the camera, and they did. And on the right, you will see our assistant director, Mark Kelly smoking a cigar. Three more days till he's free, though. Woo! Three more days till I'm free, though. This is our commander moving truck on the right, which is a real moving company in the Bay. That over there is a real number. And we hope that this movie brings them a lot of business because they're a group of fantastic people.
So if you're in the Bay Area and you need moving services, please go to Commander's website. There's a fuck theater again. And B-roll of the city of Oakland. All those four guys standing outside of the liquor store are also friends of David and Rafa. This is on Market Street, which is an extremely dangerous part of town. David and Rafa were very hesitant about letting us shoot there, but we found this beautiful location that we loved, so we convinced them. What gun are you talking about, Colin? Oh, oh, do you mean this? I like this scene a lot. People laugh a lot when we play this in the theater. This one right here, bro. Get the fuck out. Get out. I gotta go. <laughs> Curfew, nigga. Shit. Good night, Colin. I love you, man. Yeah. This scene we're about to see a pivotal moment in Colin's character arc. And it's a scene that we wanted to be very careful with just to make sure that it documented the experience, but it never did it in an overly graphic way. Or I guess we had a lot of conversations about how we wanted to shoot and how much we wanted to see and how much we didn't want to see. We decided to keep the scene from Colin's point of view, meaning that everything you see is from his seat in the truck so whether it's from his actual vantage point or through the side mirror that's essentially the parameters that we set for ourselves so that people would get to see it from Collins eyes this is Travis Parker who plays Randall Marshall plays this character and we could not have been more lucky to have a better actor for such an important role. I'm going to talk a little bit about our stunt team who did a terrific job in the many stunt sequences that we have in this movie. This one being the most complicated one. Travis I think had to redo that fall about 27 times, which is not easy physical task if you think about the concrete. Fuck. Uh, uh. The sequence was put together, I think we shot it in like five days total, and it's really incredible to see how good of a job David does in keeping the emotional arc of it intact. 11 p.m. is a required curfew, Mr. We are now in Collins' halfway house room. Talk quickly about our production designer, Tom Hammock, who did a really wonderful job. And this is as minimal as a production designer's job can be, but he made just the right choices to make it feel barren, real. Kevin Carroll outside plays the halfway house manager. Yeah. 
So we had one shoot day in this cemetery and as you probably already know we have three sequences and they're three important sequences and halfway through the day the Veed told us that he actually had a leg injury which no one was aware of so every time he seems struggling here a lot of it is his acting ability but the other half is his injury getting worse and worse throughout the day this is Miles's apartment, Ashley and Miles's apartment. Ashley is played by the terrific Jasmine Cephas Jones. Miles is played by Rafael Casal, as you already know. And Ziggy right there plays Sean there, the kid. Ziggy was one of those rare casting experiences where he just walked into the room and blew us all away, and we just could not imagine the movie with anyone else. As did Jasmine. Jasmine sent us a tape. She lives in New York and we were casting in LA. She sent us a self-tape where she was reading with Anthony Ramos, her boyfriend. And she had us all in tears and we asked her to please fly to California and shoot the movie with us. We about to show Colin them hands, okay? Put them up like this, you got your hands working? All right, you ready? And we gonna say this up to the sky together, okay? I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. No, louder, man. I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. I'm the toughest motherfucker to I think that line was my idea. <laughs> when Rafa was working on the script, I told him that he should con his kid into saying bad words. This is a really fun scene, and I think that we got punched in the face a few times. Ziggy wasn't able to fully block his stunt moves to perfection, so he may have punched David once or twice in the face. He needs to go is Central Vita Preschool in Berkeley. Central Vita Preschool is two hundred dollars more a fucking week. Are you kidding me? Well, that's because it's the only bilingual preschool that you get to on the. Jasmine and Rafa actually have a long relationship as friends. I believe they met when David was working on Hamilton in New York. Rafa would come to visit him often. And David and Rafa and Jasmine and Anthony and a bunch of other people, particularly these three, I think became really good friends. And that was invaluable when we were putting the movie together because it's really hard to fake these existing relationships. And we didn't have to because these guys were all such good friends already. It's weird to ask an actor to put their hands into another actor's pants, but they treat it with a lot of humor and respect is wonderful as you cheated this is back in market street and this is the usa food mart which is a real business if you go to market street you should pass by and buy some groceries this is the very first scene we shot this was in June of last year, and I think this is the first time when we realized that David and Rafa had not only a real chemistry, but were also incredibly talented actors and very funny together. So we wrapped this scene and we looked at each other and we said, I think we're in good hands and I think this is going to work and this is going to be a fun month ahead. Yeah, tomorrow works for me. What time? Bless you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Bro, what the fuck is this green juice shit doing up in here? It's good for you. This green juice, it's a fake brand that we invented with our production designer. It's called Gojus. 
of many jokes on set about gorgeous because it kind of sounds like you're saying gorgeous. We're now in Val's reception desk at Commander Moving. Val is played by Janina Gavankar, who also stepped into the audition room and left us all with our jaws on the ground. And we decided then and there that Val had to be played by this wonderful actress. She was not a part of the group of friends that came on to do this movie with an existing relationship, but she quickly became a part of it. And I think she's best friends with all of us now and hangs out with Davide and Rafa almost once a week. Most definitely. Um. Colin was involved in a shootout last night with the- This is actually shot in our production offices in Oakland. We couldn't find a location that had these specific features. So this was a reception desk of production office and we just redid it to look like Commander Moving. And this was also shut our production offices because we couldn't find a locker room like this. This is a wonderful group of actors all from the Bay Area. Except from Naomi Nyambi, who plays Yorkie on the left. Eduardo de Colosio plays Tell, who speak now. He's of Mexican descent. I am Mexican, so I was very happy to have someone representing my people. And I really like this shot, all is low zoom. That takes us from this sort of like community feeling of the locker room into this very intimate space with just Colin, which is essentially what the movie does. I remember we came up with this idea and we're very happy that it worked. And all these lines were improvised, which is incredible to think about how on point these guys are with their improv work. They're freestylers, so I guess it makes sense. This is a montage of Oakland. And these are all real people in real places in Oakland. We spent days just shooting B-roll all around. Maybe we can talk about Robbie Baumgartner, our director of photography here. He did a terrific job. He came up with many of these ideas. That's my friend Cameron. Hello, Cameron. I went to school with him. He came to make a cameo. He learned how to ride the double-decker bike just for us. These little glitchy editing effects were an idea of Gabe Fleming, who was our editor, and also had many great ideas throughout the movie, including this, starting on the close-up of these eyes. And every person who you see in these portraits are actually also friends of David and Rafa. I think family, those are David and Rafa's dads. Dante's and Santiago. That's Rafa's dad on the right and Dante's on the left. And all of these photos that Wayne Knight supposedly took, he actually didn't take. They were taken by a good friend and an artist from Oakland called Keenan Newman. And these other images with the trees and the Oakland buildings were made by Devin Gibbs, who is an artist living here in LA. He's actually a poster designer, and he designed the blind spotting poster for Sundance, which I think you can find online. And he created these originally for the film. So thank you, Devin. 
Come here for a minute. There's Wayne Knight, who I grew up watching. Being on set this day was one of the most trippy experiences to be directing someone who you grew up watching in movies. He was in Space Jam, and he was in Jurassic Park, and he was obviously in Seinfeld, and here we are, and I'm trying to tell him what to do, and he's listening to me, and that's really weird. Connect. Understand. This is a real gallery in Oakland on Telegraph Avenue. If you go to Telegraph and you find this, take a picture, upload to Instagram, and tag blind spotting. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, look. Patrick, you a swell motherfucker, man. Wayne now is fantastic. He decided to come audition, which was really weird, but he did, and obviously we loved him. Outside of the gallery, that's Chris Harding, our co-producer, who was forced into this cameo because we didn't have an extra at the time. So he was bullied into getting screamed at by Rafa. And this scene was actually trimmed significantly. It was probably three times as long, and Rafa said three times as many mean-hearted things to Chris and made fun of his looks and the way he walked and talked and we decided that we didn't need to be that aggressive toward a co-producer and we cut it short, but it's still funny. Hey! Hey! Do you hear the fucking ringing sound? Move your shit! Son of a... There's a real mural painted outside of this house in West Oakland, and while we were scouting, our production designer found it, and we decided that we could not not shoot there. Some of these are original pieces of work, some of them are commissioned. This one, for example, was drawn by a friend. This one was drawn by my girlfriend's cousin, Keenan. Keenan, wherever you are, thank you. There's an original video game conceived just for the movie. This is Justin Liu, who plays the role of Jimmy. Jimmy is Colin's mom's stepson. It's a little confusing to keep track of, but let's Magasaurus. That was an original prop that was designed by our prop master, Jessica. Mom! I'm in the bathroom, sir. What? My, you, that's my, this is my room. You gave him my room? I know. Wow, he is living in my room. This is why I told you to come and this is Margot Hall in the bathroom. You're about to meet her. She is a really talented stage actor who had actually played David's mom in a play a couple of years back. And she was one of the people who David and Rafa said, this character needs to be played by Margot. She is David's mom in an alternate universe, and we want her. So here she is, and she did such a good job. I love her wardrobe, too. Okay. 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 Well, Jimmy and all my drums are in guest room A now. Yeah, I saw that. Clear the rest of Sinead's stuff off her old bed, and you can have that room for a bit. But that is not your room. That is my guest room B. Well, where is your sister anyway? Sinead's in Bali, teaching non-Eurocentric beauty techniques. Right on, right on. Hmm. Took out a second mortgage on this house to send her to school. I'm going to be paying it off for the rest of my life. Why don't you just sell the house, then? She is not going to sell our house. I am not selling my house. 
I'll be damned if I move out of this neighborhood. This scene was also significantly longer and we had to trim just for time reasons. The mother-son dynamic is wonderful and I wish that we had left the longer version. Even though it's probably best that we didn't. Thank you to our producers for forcing me to cut scenes that I thought were great but were probably too long. This is Marty, who is Colin's stepdad. And this is the setup for a visual gag that brings us into the beauty salon. Heat absorbent alloy metal. Oh, shit. Most of the crew could not believe that we were shooting a little indie movie and the t-shirt this wonderful woman showed up to play a one-day role. And this is another scene that our producers cleverly made us trim because Tisha was so wonderful and I think this scene could have been an hour long and there were so many jokes that she improvised the day off that I wish we could have kept, but yeah, it just ended up being too long. She's just terrific. I don't either. Fuck Alfred Hitchcock. Fuck him. And M. Shamal Knight, that motherfucker could kiss my ass too. Makes me nervous. All of these were improvised lines. How much is that one you're holding right now? 140. $140! This was the hottest day of the year. There's no AC. And this location, as you can see, is essentially a greenhouse. So every single person in this set was drenched in sweat. I had to ask wardrobe to let me borrow shorts and a tank top because I thought I was going to faint. And it smelled horribly in there. But our makeup department was able to keep everyone looking good and not very sweaty. Everyone behind camera had a little pond of sweat around their feet. This is the moment that gets the most laughs in screenings. Not this, but what's coming. And I think this is the first joke that they ever wrote. They just really wanted to have David with uh, straightened hair. So here you have it. There it is. There were a lot of jokes on set this day about all the different people that he looked like. He got called a wet troll doll. He got called earth, wind, and fire combined. They're all good-hearted. Uh, thank you very much. That reminds me of mine. My 600, 300 is very much yo. No, bro, you keep that for La Raza preschool or whatever. How do you mean? All family work, man. I got some. You got some. What you talking about? You just get this text about Nack's co-workers party? Yeah, I'm trying to... Nack, who is this character that keeps texting them, inviting them to this party, is a real person that they both know. The name is... It's inspired by this other poet friend of theirs called Chinaka Hodge. That's where the name Nak comes from. And there's Jasmine again in a warrior shirt next to a warrior's flag. And we actually were shooting this movie right around the time when the Warriors won the NBA championship, so the city was complete chaos. Unfollow Val in the media. 
Hi. This is Janina again. This is David wearing his perm. This split screen idea was from our editor, Gabe Fleming. And at first it kind of became a joke. Like, what if we had these phone conversations in split screen? But then we realized that it, in many ways, became sort of like a graphic representation of what blind spotting is and this whole idea of putting two images next to each other and only being able to focus on one. And it also just visually kind of looks like the Rubens base that you're about to hear about in the next scene. So it ended up becoming this really fitting visual motif that we kept all throughout the movie. The strength of arguments based on the plausibility of their conclusion rather than how strongly this. Belief bias effect. Yes. Next. Okay. Uh, the tendency to. This is one of my favorite scenes, and I think this is the scene that we auditioned Janina with. So this is when she came into the room and made all of these really interesting choices that no one else that we had seen had done. And then we had a conversation about the character and what it meant to her. She comes from a diverse family, and I think she understands, like myself, I was born in Mexico City and moved to the States when I was 13. So we both understand what it feels like to be an outsider and what it feels like to find our place in our community and to look differently and to speak differently than the people surrounding us. So I think we connected to the material in more than one way, and we realized quickly that she was going to care about this part a whole lot more than anyone else we met, and we decided that Val was going to be her. And we were right because she did a terrific job, and she was able to create this chemistry with David that I think permeates every frame of this scene. And it's such a romantic scene, but it's also such a heartbreaking scene. And they did such a beautiful job on it. Yes, I do know. Mm -hmm. I'm happy for you. Me too. You gonna hang out of car windows and curse at people then too? <clears throat> Why would I do that? I think Robbie, our DP, also deserves a shout out here because I love the way this scene looks. Shot it with two cameras. This is one camera. This is the same camera, shooting it different time. And then the profiles were shot with a second camera. So we're shooting these two angles and then the profile angles at the same time. That allowed us to get twice as many shots in the same amount of time. And also since they're talking over each other so much, it allowed us to cut between both shots without having to do all sorts of weird sound blends. This is a very beautiful scene. I'm talking about all the technical stuff, but I guess you've seen the movie and you know how it feels. Janina had to learn how to braid David's hair for this. She got really good at it. And she was actually showing off how she could start a braid and end the braid in the time that it took for her to run the scene. And she would always finish it in the exact same line. She was very proud of that. It's my identity, bruh. It is. Yeah, well, your identity is done. And I gotta go. This hug, I think, is really beautiful. I think it shows the history that these two characters have. 
why this is a complicated relationship and why they still care about each other. I love this shot. I like her makeup a lot too. There's Margo. She was not there the day of the shoot. We recorded her voice a different day. It's movie magic. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. And this brings us back to the shooting intersection. This was actually an incredibly emotional scene to shoot because even though these are all props the person who played this character Randall Marshall was actually standing there right next to us and I remember he was having a really hard time looking at at all these images and all these messages that were written by our art department but still just the idea of a young father being killed on a corner by a police officer I think was chilling and something that even though we knew we were making fiction it was really hard for us to stand around police shooting in West Oakland the man killed by police has been identified as Randall Marshall a foot chase took place down Adelaide oh, Street in go. West Oakland this is Ziggy he's just sleeping this is Ashley drinking green juice that is Marshall again this was another scene that was significantly longer and had a lot of jokes but we decided to just keep a little bit less comedic just because we were starting to dive into this emotional arc that Colin is having after seeing the intersection again trimmed all the funny stuff that took us out of the moment Marshall lived on 32nd Street with his girlfriend and three-year-old daughter. There's a spelling mistake on that board that we didn't notice until we were editing. I think vacuum is misspelled. That was our production designer who was notorious for having spelling mistakes. And he thought he made it the entire movie without one. And then we saw this and we texted him in post to let him know that he misspelled vacuum and this is Kevin Carroll who is a great actor and this is a relatively short scene when you think about you know the bigger picture but it's a scene that sticks with people and people love because he is just fantastic how about motherfuckers just don't get arrested for dumb shit see where we're going here but then I won't have to enforce seemingly arbitrary he waited the entire day to shoot this and just for scheduling reasons this was the very last scene of the day and we had to rush through it. And I felt terrible because I thought we didn't give him enough time to do a proper job, but he actually did a perfect job and I'm glad he's such a good actor because otherwise probably wouldn't have gotten it. A convicted felon, Mr. Hoskins. You are now that until proven otherwise. Prove otherwise at all times. He's a really great voice too. Got it. So this moment right here is one that we came up with during the editing process. 
this flash. This was actually just the tail end of a shot that we weren't even supposed to use, but we're looking at the footage and we saw this moment that's just so chilling and graphic and terrifying. So we threw it in there and it became a moment that I really love. And then here we are back in the courtroom, the lights are off and we are in the dream sequence where there's rap. This was a blast to shoot. Cadillac dipping, pimping. This music was produced by Jonathan Snipes, who is David's group partner in Clipping, which is his rap group. And he wrote the song with David and Rafa. That's Ethan. This day was fantastic. It was like a music video shoot. We essentially had the track and we played it live and then we had all these crazy light cues and then Rafa just performed over and over again. Uh, it was like a music video in that sense, but also the audio that you hear. So Rafa's performance is not pre-recorded. This actually recorded on set. He had a little clicker on his ear giving him the tempo and we were recording the audio live, which I think was very important to get the emotion. This really powerful moment. And this is really what a nightmare feels like, in my opinion. And every time we were mixing in the sunroom, I would get these really weird feelings. And then he wakes up. We're back in the cemetery. It's his last day on probation. outside of Miles's home. This was also shot during the first day of production. I think this was actually the first shot and then we went into the liquor store. You can see Rafa had already figured out his Miles walk. And this poster was inspired in a poster that Rafa had actually seen in New York City promoting this recruitment campaign that the NYPD was doing for people to join the forces and he had posted it onto Facebook making fun of how tone deaf it was to use a young black man and have the slogan we want you right next to him and I brought it up while we were doing the last draft of the script and we somehow decided to incorporate it here which is one of those stories of how things come together pre-production they actually have great produce. Now I need this, because of you. This scene was also shot during the first day of production. There's a nice slow motion close-up of a cigarette and salad. And I remember David walked into this when we were shooting and he said that it looked like we were shooting a McDonald's commercial. He didn't understand why we were making this shot of a fork going into baby tomatoes, it's so beautiful. 
but I think then he got it. On the way here, he or... auditions him in the car. Where's the board? I'm adding a move. I will give it to Colin. I hope it's this is probably a perfect opportunity to talk about working with David and Rafa. I had worked with both of them on different kinds of projects. I had done a lot of music videos for David, and we did a few theater things, Rafa, David, and I. But we had never worked on a dramatic project together. So I think we were all very curious about how this was going to go down. It was my first feature, obviously, and it was theirs as well. They had never written a movie. They had never starred to this degree in a movie. David had been on some. But we were curious to see how our creative relationship was going to translate. And I think it translated effortlessly because I had known these guys for so long and because there was this existing trust that... We started rehearsing, and it really just felt like three creative friends coming up with ideas, and there was never any egos involved, and it was always sort of like, best idea wins, let's talk about all the possibilities. And set was really easy. It was really just all three of us trying to better what the other was doing and meeting after takes and throwing stuff at the wall and see what stuck and what felt more exciting. And they do a lot of improvising, and also I do a lot of music videos and low-budget filmmaking, so I'm used to thinking on my toes. So I think that helped us a lot. This is Sarah Kay, who is also a poet. She is a really talented poet, and she flew to Oakland just for a day to be in the shot. I'm good friends with her. I met her through David and Rafa. She's not an actor, but she decided that she was going to give it a go, and she did a really good job. So speaking about performance and speaking about improvising, this scene, which is mostly a one-shot, except for maybe one or two inserts, but it was shot as a one-shotter, was in many ways improvised on the day of the shoot. I mean, they had the lines written. They added a lot of lines while we were there. But we also didn't know, this was only like the third day of shooting. We didn't have location because it had fallen through last minute. And we had seen this place, but we weren't sure how we were going to shoot it. We knew that we wanted it to be a long take, and we sort of just jumped into the location the day of the shoot. I asked Debbie and Rafa to just walk around as they would if this was a theater, and looked a little bit at what they were doing and where they were going, and then we just start moving the camera around and seeing how we could follow their action and not be intrusive. And we came up with this really nicely designed shot that just follows both of them cleaning up and passing the time and then David rapping about what he sees, which is essentially them clearing out a local family and making space for New Oakland to come in. This dog ain't no millionaire, but just as rare. Trying to tap dance in the rain on these niggas like a stair. Happy on my face and my mind, I'm scared, crow. Hung up in the hood till I'm And then opening up this album full of memories of what they consider to be old Oakland and essentially realizing that he is a part of the gentrifying process. And it's one of my favorite scenes that was almost entirely improvised, both performance-wise and technically. The photos in that album were actually from our production supervisor, Lamar Stewart. So hello, Lamar, wherever you are. And all this was improvised. I can't believe it ended up looking so nicely because 
We had no idea what we were going to do when we walked into that place. So after this, we had another scene that ended up not making it into the final cut of the movie, but they essentially traveled upstairs to the house and found out that the second floor of the house was being used to house a group of heroin addicts. And then they confront one of them and madness ensues. Sailboat, get your artisan sailboat. Platinum Seaworthy, sailboat, nauticals included. We're never gonna sell this boat, bruh. This is one of my favorite scenes. This was also shot during the first day of location. And I think this was the first time where we all looked around and realized that these guys really had some unique acting chops and that this was going to be a really fun ride. There was just a relationship and a chemistry and a history that existed here. And they're both so fun to watch and they embody these characters. If you see this movie, I think it's hard to believe that Divi and Roth are both so different from Miles and Colin. But this was the first day of shooting and they just completely transformed into these other people. And it was just so fascinating to watch. I remember just standing behind the monitor and looking around and saying, oh man, these guys are real stars and this movie's gonna be really fun to make. And it was. How gracious of her to have called you once. And what did she want to talk to you about? About changing up your lifestyle? Changing up your ways? You're not a thug drug dealer? I loved this idea of setting this sailboat scene against a blue sky backdrop. It was a boys and girls club of Oakland. We found it while we were scouting. And I couldn't imagine this scene any other way. This is Lance. And Lance plays the most local Oakland citizen that appears in this movie. And he was the only person that we auditioned that could pull this scene off. And Davi and Rafa were so happy that we found him. And he has a very short appearance in this film, but it's one of the most memorable ones. And I laugh so hard every time I see it. I'm not laughing now because I'm not listening to what he's saying, but it's a fantastic, fantastic scene. Everything they're saying is real Oakland slang. I thought the first time I read it that Rafa had just made this scene up and that it meant nothing, but a real Oakland native should be able to tell you everything that they just said and explain to you what it means because it's real. We were originally looking at different Bay Area rappers to play this role, but A, it became really impossible to get them to commit, and then B, we found Lance and we realized that we needed to look no more. I'll tell you right now. All right, hey, I'm gonna go back to the office. Our clock is both down. I'm back in like an hour, though. We got the feast in a second. Got you. Sean, bro. Yeah, I'll be right back. She didn't come visit you one time, bro. I know. I was there. You're all set for Friday. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. I guess all the scenes are my favorite scenes. This is one of my favorite scenes. Because Utkarsh, right here, who plays the role of Rin, Improvise almost this entire scene. And this is another one of those scenes that I think the first cut was maybe 15 minutes long and it wasn't bad. It was really funny and it could have lived as a 15 minute long scene, 
but we needed to have a movie with normal movie length, so we had to cut it down a little bit. But this day was really hard, and the only reason why it was hard is because it was almost impossible to keep the crew from laughing and from not paying attention to the movie making because they were all so, so captivated by Utkarsh's performance. Obviously, he had sort of like a beat sheet of the many things that he had to say to make the story work, but everything in between was improvised on the spot, and it was just fascinating to watch. This is Casey Adams, our stunt performer who gets set on fire in a few minutes. This nigga right here, uh, excuse me, this, this gentleman. Let me say that with me. Yeah, my bad. I was out of my mind right then. This dude right All these lines were improvised. That's David wearing a grill. That's Rafa wearing a grill. And this is Ukarsh again. This was shot in a bar called The Alley that is a real place that our production designer, who was from Oakland, used to frequent in his younger days. And I think it was very meaningful to him that we ended up shooting here. Probably had a lot of drunken nights here. So anyway, this Casey, he is famous for a lot of things, but one of his many particular talents is that he gets set on fire many, many times a year. Every time you see on a movie or on a commercial a man who's on fire, chances are it's Casey. He has a fame of being the actual man on fire in most of Hollywood productions. So he was very happy to know that this role would require him to be on fire for half of the screen time that he'd be in the movie. I'll go back inside, right? I'll go back inside. My man stops him like, you're done. Give me the fucking goblin thing. Well, first of all, it's a scorpion ball, okay? And second, no, I fucking paid for this thing. And then he slaps his arm. Brah! Remember the white boy on the stool? Guess what? Tower of Power is playing in the background, which is an Oakland band that I love. I think I suggest this song. I can't take credit for many of the song choices because Davide and Rafa know more about Bay Area music than anyone, but that one I think I brought up. I would not. This motherfucker looks just like Crazy Bone. Sold off Leatherface. This is one of her favorite moments in the movie. And the song was originally recorded and written for this film. These cartoon punches, I think, are a little too loud, but they get laughs at screenings, so I guess that's good. This is a big stunt sequence. The white boy jumps in and starts kicking him, and he's fucking Chuck Norris on this motherfucker, and he's like, I hate my dad. That's one of my favorite lines. We shot it into the late, late, into the night, and we had a big crowd watching because we were just beating people up and setting people on fire. So here it goes. I'd never done anything like this, and it was a little bit scary to set a man on fire. We had a professional team that handled it really well. I think he was able to be on fire for like eight seconds at a time, and then a bunch of people with fire blankets and fire extinguishers came up and extinguished him. I think we had maybe eight takes at this, because after this, his 
body would warm up too much and we had to wait like four hours for it to cool down and we didn't have that time. And you'd think the fight would be over, but nah, this dude has lost it. And his fucking friend is like Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance all over this mofo. David was actually set on fire. That's not David, that's a double. But for one particular take, we set David's arm on fire. It is nerve wracking, but handle it okay. That shit was nuts. The opera appears here again, obviously. Damn. That really happened? Justin, who plays Tin, is one of David's childhood friends that he's known for tens and tens of years, and he came to play this small role too. And he was also very funny, and he improvised a lot of those lines. <laughs> So this is when the scene and arguably the movie take a turn into the more serious end of the spectrum. That's the scene that David was actually set on fire for, his arm. It took him a second to turn himself off and that was really scary for everyone watching behind the monitor. He was in the hospital for a week and all over a drink. Well, we gotta go. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. All right. Utkarsh is a great rapper as well. I think he met David because he was in some of the workshops of Hamilton a few years ago. Because I know you guys grew up together, but he's gonna put you back in jail or he's gonna get you fucking killed. Well, I was having my back since we were 11 years old. When I went to jail, Miles came and saw me all the time. I like the scene. We covered it in just really extreme close-ups, and I'm happy we made this choice because you really do feel like you're so close to the characters, and they both have beautiful faces, so... I remember the producers came up to me while we were shooting this and said, hey, you're really brave for shooting your elite characters from so close up. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I guess not every face can handle a close-up this close. I don't know. I'm just calling. I'm yeah, I know. Those are not feet in. And Janina's so good. I love this little dancing interlude. We just played a song and let these guys go crazy. Pretty hilarious. Three. Two, one. This is Zeki, who also improvised a lot and I think impressed everyone in that room because a lot of this scene was ad-libbed and he was keeping up with David and throwing all these improv lines back and giving him prompts and just was doing things that a seasoned actor does and I think he was eight at the time we shot this. I don't remember how old he was, but he was young. For being a tough guy. Dinner's ready! I'll be fine! There's another scene that we cut. There is a bunch of things that happened before this conversation. But the movie was too long, so we trimmed it down. 
I think I'm good off the weed now. Ow. It's like I see that it's him. I hear that it's him. Yeah. But then you don't see some shit right there. What am I over here doing? Change man, I guess. I think I'm changed. Hmm. For what? Oh, you can spy This shirt that Ziggy's about to bring is actually a real design from an Oakland artist. The shirt says, Kill a hipster, save your hood. And it's a shirt that is popular in the Bay Area. George Watsky plays a cameo in the Quickway scene. He's the drive-thru employee. He actually wrote a song called Kill a Hipster, Save Your Hood. You can search it on Spotify. It actually features Chinaka Hodge, who was the inspiration behind the name Knock, who's a character that you will meet later. Lots of interesting facts of Bay Area cross-pollination. You can see every little thing. Yeah, look, because it's yeah, screaming your pectorals. You can see this tattoo. Nice. One of my favorite tattoos. Man, this shirt is too yeah. small. Both of y'all know that shit. No, look no, at this no, little baby shirt. Nice. You can and pierce a nipple. Nah, no, 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 no. This right here was one of the hardest scenes to shoot. Probably the hardest scene to shoot for obvious reasons. But Ziggy, who plays the character of Sean, has found his dad's revolver on the ground and is now playing with a loaded gun not only technically but just performance wise working with kids is tricky enough and working with kids in such an emotional scene is even more complicated and Ziggy actually handled this like a total pro we were very nervous about how things were going to go down on set but we actually did the opposite of what you would expect to do, which is we played some light music and we tried to keep the set as non-threatening and non-serious as possible so that Ziggy would feel comfortable. We gave him some wax earplugs so he wouldn't get screamed at too much by Jasmine, who is giving a beautiful performance right next to his ear. But it's crazy to see how emotional the scene is and how light that day on set was. All the actors just were true class acts and did such a good job there. Here. Get rid of it. You couldn't just make it yours for two fucking seconds. No, it's not mine. And I didn't want to have shit to do with that fucking gun in the first place. Don't make it yours and just make it not mine. I'm not going to bring a gun around a little kid. This is also another scene that was really fun to shoot. We did this really late at night. So you can tell the people who cross here all four of them are really good friends of David and Rafa they just came out and stayed out for the night to make that cross they're the same people that you see in the beginning of the movie outside of the liquor store you're not supposed to know that because they're supposed to be different people in the movie but it's the same shoot day so same people I'm not going to that fucking party well we're not going back in there are we and would you go spend your first day not having a curfew in a halfway house? I'm not trying to go to some party. I think this scene shows the dynamic between them so well and how well they play off of each other. This is the first time Davi and Rafa have been on screen for this long and they look and they sound and they feel like the most seasoned actors. And it was really fantastic to see 
their transformation. I mean, I'm good friends with them, but I'd never seen them do anything like this. And they would just come out and do a performance like this. And it was hard to remember that these are my friends that I've known for so long and that they're making their feature debut and they're doing such a good job. This is Des again. This next shot of the trunk is a shot that I'm very proud of. And we have our original branded alcohol called Bay Goose. This shot is also interesting because it features so many people in the crew. Our entire wardrobe department is there. Our script supervisor, Betty, is there. One of our grips is in there. There are a lot of those moments. There's a real house in Oakland that is sandwiched between Victorians and that has been broken into multiple times because it stands out like a sore thumb in the neighborhood. For better or for worse, this is Sid, who is an executive at Pandora and happens to have the same tattoo that Miles does, which is humiliating for him. John Moslin plays Sid. He came up from LA, did such a good audition. He had another bigger scene that we had to cut for timing reasons. But he was so funny. He has the same tattoo. Shut the fuck up. I go knock. I need a drink. Yes, you were a great dancer. Shot this scene in the very early hours of the morning. That's my shirt, the pig. I let that actor borrow it. So I thought it was funny. Doc? What's up? Oh, man, you never respond to my invites. This is Knock, played by Rolanda Bell. There's Galaxy on the left, who's our makeup artist. You can't see her anymore. And then A.V. Young on the right plays Terry. And Terry was a very challenging role to cast because he doesn't only have to act, he also needs to be a stunt performer. You'll see why in a second. What's going on, everybody? How's it hey, going? Hey. All right. hey, you guys good? You guys need any yeah. drinks? No. Hey. hey, no. No, you sure? You're good. Yeah. You're all right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Sid. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, um, sorry, there's just no, no cut. This scene is meant to be a stark contrast between the opening scene of the movie where there's sort of like congregation of old Oakland folks and it's colorful and it's cool and it's hip and there's a lot of flavor and then obviously you go into this new Oakland get together that is sort of like devoid of character and very sort of flat and catered by quick way which is sort of like the ultimate insult to a staple restaurant from the bay it now caters to hipster parties and this is sort of like the beginning of the end for miles <laughs> 
You good, bro? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, bro. Oh, the grill. You have a grill. And of course, the irony of being mistaken for a hipster who's trying to play tough to fit into the crowd is something that I'd never seen in a movie, and I think it's a really wonderful thing that they devise. Some hipster kid bought a drinks. Full on culture vulture. What it do, my bro? No. It's no, lit. No, no. I'm like, um, don't talk like that. It's not you. Who's here? They're talking about Miles, who is as Oakland as it gets, yet in this context stands out for trying too hard to fit in. And Colin realizes this and knows exactly what's going to happen. And boom. Stunt moment. AV is a really good stunt performer and made this all look so easy. This was another really hard scene to shoot. Davina and Rafa may or may not have told you this, but Rafa suffered a slight fall that was slightly harder than we anticipated and he ended up hurting his head but he was okay it was very physical and he did a lot of his own stunts which is very impressive that was a rental car that we had to pay a large fee for because we redid a few of these stunts so many times that we ended up denting it. And this is just a really graphic scene. It's hard to watch even knowing what I know and having been there and knowing that no one actually got hurt. This is a moment that I really love, which is the first time that Miles and Colin make eye contact and the roles are reversed and Colin's able to step out and look at the reality that he lives in through a different lens, if that makes any sense. Get the fuck out of where. And this is a really powerful performance by Rafa. I remember he did this take and everyone on set clapped afterwards because there's something in his eyes that just is haunting. Those gunshots are not real. Giving away all the movie making tricks here. I think the first scene that was written in this movie, this was nine years ago, David and Rafa came up with this idea of this conversation between these two characters and then essentially reversed, engineered the entire thing to become the movie that we now know. But this is how it all started. A black and a white character having this conversation about race and the use of the n-word and identity. That, you didn't do shit, bro! That, that is Knox partner. I don't give a fuck who the fuck it is. Knox partner, is that your partner? No! Is that your partner? No! You know how many times I'd have had your back out here? 
How many motherfucking times I stepped off your ass? Huh? And you didn't do shit. I think I operated this scene, yeah. Which is really fun. We treated it more or less like you would treat the play, which is we've shot it from start to finish with no cuts. Knowing that we were going to cut it later, but we just wanted the actors to be able to really immerse themselves in the moment. And we didn't want to disrupt their performance by just cutting after every line or doing all these different setups. So we essentially just set up the lights in a way that we can just let them perform and ran around with cameras around them and did as many times as they were comfortable doing. By the time we were done, Rafa could barely speak. He lost his entire voice. We actually had to do all of Collins, David's coverage last because by the time we got to him, Rafa could barely speak. Yeah? Yeah, my nigga. Yeah, bruh. No, say it. I don't want to talk too much about content because I feel like the movie does a good job at saying what the scene is about. But this was, I think, the first time where I looked around set after we had shot and everyone had just this look in their eyes that just felt like we were doing something that was very special and that we were witnessing two people really put the entire selves into the screen. And this was a very special night. I was also at the end of the week, so we had margaritas after in the back. It just felt for the first time that we had witnessed something very special. And by that time, the entire crew was so together and so united that it just... I think this was a memorable night for everyone. We just shot a scene that we thought was so beautiful and so powerful. And we had put together a team of people that... We really cared for and we have a picture of that night David, Rafa and I are sitting in the back of a pickup truck drinking margaritas and I think I'll frame that and put it up in my apartment. You buy a fucking gun for what? For your family? You are the nigger that they are out here looking for! Where the fuck you going? Where the fuck are you going? Khaled! Khaled! What the fuck you did? You can see why Rafa lost his voice. He could barely speak after this. What the fuck you did? gun on you because what the hell happened This is the first encounter that Colin has had with the police since the shooting incident. 
that police officer is played by my good friend, whose name is also Carlos, and he's been in so many of my music videos and projects, and I just knew that he somehow had to be in this. So even though you don't see him too much, you know he's there, and he brought good luck to the project because he's our good luck charm. This is, I think, a moment that we captured that I had never seen before, which is the visceral fear that a young black man has when he is confronted by a police officer. And obviously, I mean, this, we know that Colin has a gun, so I think the stakes are significantly higher, but the fear in his eyes and everything that he does, I think, grounds it in a way that even though maybe not a lot of people have been in a situation similar like this and can't necessarily contextualize it, just help you understand how terrifying this must be. And the light, the blinding light was something that we thought was important just because we never actually get to see the police officer's face. He's just more of this presence that is larger than life and unbeatable. I love this performance by David. And I love this performance by Jasmine. This scene, I think, is so masterfully performed. I remember we were shooting this and halfway through the scene, I would turn around and our boom operator was struggling to hold the boom up because she was crying and she was trying to wipe the tears off her face, but she was using both her hands to hold the boom. So it's slightly funny to see her struggle with this, but it was also so heartbreaking and Jasmine's performance is just so, so good. She had everyone in tears. People had been working on the script for, you know, years and months and knew this scene so well, still just heard it and were just so moved by the life it took after Jasmine delivered these lines. And Rafa also just did such a beautiful job here. Do you think if you would have possibly told me about buying a gun that I might have seen the scenario coming? I'm sorry. It's the first time since we met Miles where he's actually questioned his actions and it's an important moment for his character. Could you not call me that? What, nigga? Yeah, can you not call me that, please? I really love how it's shot too. Thanks, Robbie. That's a really beautiful moment. This is the moment that convinced us to do the split screen. It started just like a little quirky thing to try, but then we saw it again in this scene and it just took it to a whole new level that just became impossible to think about the movie without this. But it's the first time I've ever seen split screen done in a way that is for dramatic purposes. And also just conceptually, it talks about everything that the movie is about. It talks about 
contrast and it talks about two perspectives and it talks about two people speaking about the same issue but seeing it from two completely separate isolated points of view and this is what you're seeing here you know they're talking about people's inability to see a picture as a whole and only being able to focus on sort of like one side and that is literally what is happening as you're having to pick who you're looking at and then on a much more stylistic level they end up sort of like composing this image that has become so symbolic in the story which is the Rubens face which is just two profiles of two people and seeing either the negative space or their faces you see the faces are the face when you look at me now do you always see the fight first And I just love the fact that you can sort of like your eye goes from one side to the other and you're able to sort of like pick what you're focused on and you can have a different experience watching this the first time and the second time. And that just became such a special little moment that we decided in post and it worked. So this is the first day off probation. It's the last day in our movie. He is, in theory, a free man. And he's moving out of his halfway house. And he is no longer bound by these geographical borders and he's able to exit Alameda County. And there's a vacuum misspelled again. And he's back doing his morning run. And he realizes that even though he's a free man, he has this baggage, this emotional, this psychological baggage that is probably gonna chase him for quite some time. First only in his head, but then outside of his head. And I can't imagine how terrifying this must be. And this is, I think, one of the most chilling moments in the movie. such a simple shot that means so much and all these faces are just heartbreaking and this is Travis who plays Marshall and this is Colin realizing that even though he's free he's not really free So of course, Miles is suffering from last night's altercation. We gotta go straight to the first move, all right? I got the address from the office. 
Just gotta put my shoes on. Come on. Nah. He invites him into the house, but Colin is not having it. And he decides to wait outside. Because it's the first day off probation, he gets a gift from Sean. And it's green juice. This is a very cute moment. It's real nice to you, bro. Okay. Okay. This was another instance of Ziggy maybe hitting David once or twice a little harder than he was supposed to. Enough. Hey, hey, stop! And after having read the pamphlet that Nancy Collins' mom sent over to the family, Sean has learned all these phrases that are important for young African-American kids to know as is don't shoot don't shoot and of course he says it in the worst of times because then it triggers all sorts of internal conflicts in colin's head so they go back to work and they're moving this family up they're late so colin isn't allowed to change his clothes and he comes without a uniform so it's just a ton of boxes in the living room mostly um, my son and i are gonna take off but my um Husband is inside somewhere, if you want to go. Okay, so everything is just in here then? This must be an awkward encounter for this woman who hired this moving company and is greeted by this guy covered in bruises and this other guy who's clearly going through some stuff. Regardless, she lets them into her house to clear up all these boxes. The alarm goes off every time the door is open because she's disconnected the service. And these guys aren't talking because they're angry at each other. Colin is clearly not in a good emotional state. I left my jacket inside, so I'll go get the last box. As they're about to finish up, he goes into the house to the last box. And while he's in there, he realizes that some portraits have been left out. And after seeing the first one, he realizes that he recognizes one of the faces in there. And he sees the second one and realizes that he definitely knows whose house he's in. We purposely wanted to not show this portrait at this point so that people could draw their own conclusions and not necessarily get all the information right away. This scene that you're about to see, I keep saying this was a difficult scene, but I guess every scene in this movie was difficult to shoot for different reasons. This one particularly, for a number of reasons. I mean, technically it was complicated because David had to rap and perform following a very steady beat emotionally because, you know, the entire movie built to this moment.
Ethan Embry, even though he only has a handful of lines in the film, I think gives one of the most memorable and powerful performances I can think of recently. That's because he did so much work. I mean, I think arguably it's one of the parts that needed the least amount of work because on paper he uh, shows up and shoots a person and then absorbs all of these emotions from David. But he did so much work on this part and he asked so many questions and we had so many meetings just trying to figure out who this character is and what this character is emotionally going through. And I think it shows, I mean, there's so many layers to his performance, and even though he says very little, it's incredibly complicated to understand what he's going through. And he makes this character that's almost now considered like an archetype of the bad cop, he makes it an incredibly human and incredibly complex person. And yeah, I don't know who else could have done this. Were you afraid someone was gonna come find you? Huh? Bruh. What, nigga? I'm just, I'm just talking to him. <laughs> you said make it pretty, right? It's the bounce of it. They like the bounce of it. <laughs> this scene was written by both David and Rafa, and I don't think the scene was finished until a few days before we shot it just because they kept tweaking words and changing the rhythm and adding little details and omitting and changing bars. Did you count his rings when you bled him? Huh? When you dead him? Do you understand how old- This is another track that was originally produced by Jonathan Snipes who also worked on the courtroom sequence. If you pay attention, the alarm that you hear earlier in the scene ends up becoming sort of like the driving force of the speech. It adds some sort of like a beat and it keeps building throughout the scene. More subtle sounds are added and he starts rapping a little bit more on beat as the scene progresses to feel it it has to be you cut you but you don't know what the cut do you are reflex but when reflux bleeds the gut then you see the faces leave the vases the integration of movie and particularly rap in this movie was tricky because we definitely knew that we didn't want this movie to ever feel like a musical and we never wanted characters to break into song and dance. This is definitely not that kind of movie, but there are also these scenes that feature incredibly heightened speech and rap, and particularly the scene is essentially a rap song. Now, how to do this in a way that felt honest to what the characters were feeling and for it to never take you away as an audience member thinking that, oh, now they're performing this rap song. It's a real challenge, and I think a lot of the credit needs to be given to Rafa and David because they were able to construct this world in which rap isn't necessarily just a music genre that people listen to, but it's a lifestyle, and Miles and Colin freestyle to comment on their world and what they see and what they think is 
unique about their experiences and in many ways it's a way to um interpret this inner monologue of theirs and all the stuff that's going on in their heads so this scene is the first time where colin is able to really vomit all of these emotions that have been living within and the only way that he's able to do it is through verse it's the way he's been taught to communicate directly and this is ultimately not him deciding that he's gonna confront this cop in verse but it's the only way that he's able to sort of like get rid of all this weight that he's been dragging for the last few days and months and years and you know arguably his entire life so i think the first credit goes to the writers and then to um david for finding the most nuanced and beautiful way to perform this and then to the crew and me for just finding nice angles to shoot it i didn't mean to are you sure We're back outside, and it's sunny, and they're back in Oakland. Miles this time is driving. Colin is off somewhere else. I'll talk about the music quickly. This was written by Michael Yastrzemski, and even though there's a very subtle piece of score, he did a beautiful job. I think it's not easy to write the score for a movie that's so musical. And yet, he was able to combine all the very different musical influences that Davi and Rafa have and the many styles that the Bay is known for and put it together into this very cohesive soundtrack that we're very happy with. You good? There's the tear roll. If you did it on cue, every time. This is a really difficult scene to shoot and to act because it does a lot of different things. It should, in theory, offer a little bit of closure and then after this incredibly brutally dramatic scene, these guys are cracking jokes again, and we sort of like scratch at the surface of the buddy comedy and what, you know, their relationship again. We're back into sort of like real life, and they're so good at it. You pulling guns on people, and I'm driving? Everything is upside down today, man. What you want me to drink this green juice too, huh? That make you feel better? I drink it, man. I'll, I'll drink this shit. <laughs> it's really gratifying to see this in a theater because you get to go through that emotional experience with people and you see them slowly start smiling again. And even though they all just went on this really heavy emotional journey, they allow themselves to be taken back by these two goofy guys and the fact that after all, they're for each other and trying to make each other smile. You see that same reaction on people. You see them slowly go from sort of like being completely shocked to letting loose again and allowing themselves to smile. And I think the guys are 
incredibly talented for being able to do this with the movie and for being able to say so many important things and at the end of the day leave people with a smile on their faces. Oh, hell no, that's the next move. Oh, it's my time to hear out now, boy. Shit, I'm gonna give her a piece of my mind about her little boyfriend. He a town traitor as far as I'm concerned. I mean, how the Raiders gonna move to Las Vegas? Unacceptable. So what, you all fucks with the Raiders now? Don't be absurd, Colin. That would be disloyal of me to do. I can't stoop to their level. I'm just mad at them forcing me into this very good... This last song's a song that I really like. It's performed by David and Rafa and E-40, who is one of the most iconic Bay rappers of all time. And it's crazy to think that he's in our soundtrack. So these are the names of all the people that made this movie possible. And it's a long list of names because there were a lot, a lot of people that worked on this. And maybe this is a good time to thank all of them. This is my friend Cameron. Mark Kelly. I know all these people. At the time of this recording, the movie has not come out, and I think we're two months away from its release. I hope people like it, and I think more than anything, I hope the movie is used as a conversation starter. I think we tried really hard to not answer any of the questions that we're posting with the film, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what kind of conversations come from this. We've had a few test screenings, we've had a few festival screenings, and the Q&As that we've had after the movie have always been really, really stimulating because I think that the movie affects different people very differently. And I mean, that's generally what movies do, but this movie particularly, I mean, the whole term blind spotting refers to a difference in perspective and comparing two things side by side and trying to find a middle ground and we just hope that the movie does that that it encourages people to listen and it encourages people to ask questions and it encourages people to dig a little deeper and be willing to see the other side of this conversation so i don't know that we're necessarily trying to come up with answers or solutions to many of the problems that we're presenting with the film but I do think that we're hoping that people talk after watching it. And if we're able to do that, then I think we'll consider our job well done. I hope you enjoyed this very insightful look at blind spotting. If you feel like you haven't had enough of this movie, you should probably watch the other commentary that exists and is performed by none other than David Diggs and Rafael Casal. It is somewhere else. I don't know where. It's somewhere it exists and you should listen to it. And maybe a good way to end your blind spotting marathon. Living and dying. What about your paper route? Gritting and grinding. Clientele and clout. Multiplying. Now I came and again with a boomerang. Never so pews, but I used to sell that that candy can. Evels and heels, 11,500 hair rank. In the hood was black folks think that castor oil cure everything. All kind of different trees with all kind of different names. I use ocean soy on chicken shit to feed my strains. The hillside of Vallejo is the land I claim. I gave my brother Danelle some mail to buy a Mustang. Back in 1985 when shit was live. We did what we had to do to survive. All the real ones gone in jail, I they done died. So it's up to me to teach them the ghetto guide. <laughs>